Let those who hate me know you're my friend. This was David's prayer. This was his confidence. This was his security. And the lowest time of his life, this is indeed the lowest time of his life here, 2 Samuel 15 and 16. Let's read at 15 verse 30, page 315 in your pew Bibles. Page 315, 2 Samuel 15 verse 30 through 16 verse 14. And our text this morning is the first 14 verses of chapter 16. David is encountering a rebellion. His son has risen up against him, Absalom, to chase him off the throne, chase him out of the city, chase him out of the country, and even chase him all the way to death. That's what Absalom wants. And so David is running. He's fleeing Jerusalem and Israel. Verse 30, but David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And while David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. And David said to him, if you go on with me, you'll be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I've been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them there, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. In our text, when David had passed a little beyond the summit, that is the summit of the Mount of Olives, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 uh, of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. The bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, and where's your master's son? Where's Mephibosheth? Ziba said to the king, behold, he remains in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Girah. And as he came, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David, and all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you're a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, 
Who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite, Benjaminite, leave him alone and let him curse? For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan and there he refreshed himself. This is God's good word. Brothers and sisters, may he bless us by it. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to begin by telling you a true story about a Christian man I borrowed the story from a friend, but I also know this Christian man, and some of you may, but it's told with his permission. This Christian man grew up in the church. From his early days, he showed tremendous fruit, tremendous promise, very godly child, loved the Lord. He professed his faith at a young age, very gifted guy. He devoted his gifts and talents to the service of Christ's church and kingdom. Very well known in the church. Still is. A family man. Married and blessed with children. Great reputation of being a wonderful, faithful man of God. But on one particular occasion in the weakness of his own heart, he had an affair. Took another man's wife as his own as his own for a night, then covered it with lies. And the Lord in mercy would not let him get away with it. And he was exposed. And eventually the whole story came out. And there were some very painful consequences for him. He lost his job for a time. He lost his reputation. He lost his sense of nearness to God. He lost the trust of his family and church. He lost three children indirectly as a result. Painful. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story because later he was restored again. He got his job back. He returned to the church and worship of God and was still used by God to lead many to Christ. And I think you know him. His name is David. His name is David. such a terrible story to read and yet is it that unusual and now God is working in David's life he's fully forgiven him but he's kindly and painfully working in his life to strengthen him and make him a better man man of God, a stronger king. It's for the sake of the kingdom. And David, for the sake of the kingdom, is willing to submit himself to God's discipline in his life. And that's the beauty of what we see in these chapters, how David recognizes the hand and the plan of God in his life, doesn't fight God's discipline, but accepts it and knows that by giving his life into the hand of the Lord, 
He is totally secure. He's secure in this suffering as well. So that's where we take it up here, where he first, on his way out of Jerusalem, faces a friendly foe named Ziba, sleazy Ziba, has a very friendly face, sort of like Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus with a kiss. A very friendly face, but he's a terrible man, Ziba. So there is David. He's been betrayed first by Ahithophel. He's had to leave Jerusalem. He crosses the brook Kidron. He goes up the ascent of the Mount of Olives where later the Garden of Gethsemane was and goes to the mountain and he's weeping as he's going and he's really prophesying the journey of Jesus through the Via Dolorosa, the road of suffering. He's a prophecy of Jesus. Nowhere does David picture Jesus so so fully as in his weakness and suffering. And that's an encouragement to us, brothers and sisters. Nowhere do we picture Jesus so well as in our suffering when we are, as the Bible says, participating in the sufferings of Christ and bringing him glory that way. And that's what David's doing. Here he's in his lowest time. And as he crests the summit of the Mount of Olives, heading east toward the Jordan River, he's getting out of Israel. That's where he's going. As he crests the summit, more sorrows are placed by the Lord on his shoulders, as if he didn't have enough already. And David faces here two incredibly painful moments. First from an apparent friend named Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth. Remember that lame man? Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson, who David took into his home because of the covenant he made with Jonathan and said, you'll have a seat at my table for the rest of your life. So he's a member of the royal family. He's like a son to David. And his steward Ziba comes. And you remember what what David had, had done to Mephibosheth. He had taken Saul's whole personal estate and given it to his grandson Mephibosheth, said, that's yours. And, and he put it under the charge of Ziba to be the steward, to manage that for Mephibosheth. But here comes Ziba now to see David off with two donkeys loaded with food and drink to care for David and for his servants. What a kind act. What a kiss of love for his master, King David. The king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? Basically, because I love you. And I see that you have need and I want to supply your needs. But wait, this isn't kindness at all. It's treachery. Ziba is a sleazy opportunist who wants to exploit this crisis of David for personal gain. The king wants to know, verse 3, so where's your master's son? Where's Mephibosheth? And Ziba tells out a a flat-out lie. Oh, Mephibosheth, he's turned on you. He's a traitor. He heard that you were off the throne that Absalom was on, and he said, maybe here's the chance for the throne to go back 
into the family of Saul and I get to be the next king because I'm the next in line. That's what Mephibosheth has done to you, O king. It's terrible. Now David should have investigated, but he's at his lowest point. He's very weak. And Ziba exploits that weakness. And what does David do? He says, okay, I take everything that belonged to Mephibosheth and I give it to you. Thanks for the gifts, by the way. So Ziba now gets this whole inheritance of Saul. That personal estate goes to him and he becomes a wealthy man at the expense of David. Behold, verse four, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king, you big fat liar. That's what that is. No, he said, well, maybe Ziba's telling the truth. No, no, no. Later on, when we get to chapter 19, we'll find out it was all a lie. We don't know that yet, but it's all a lie. Here's a sniveling self-seeker. And he adds to David's sorrows and a flat-out lie that Mephibosheth, David's close friend, like a son to him, son of Jonathan, his bosom friend, has joined the rebellion. And like Judas, Ziba does his act of betrayal with a kiss as a friendly foe. An enemy. But he's very nice about it. He's got a big smile. It's opposite of Shimei. No smiles in Shimei, but there are different ways to be enemies of Jesus Christ, right? You always have those in the kingdom who seek to benefit from the troubles of another who, like the Pharisees, devour widows' houses. Here's another widow. Let's try to get her estate. Who have their eye on how they can benefit from your disaster and buy your farm for really cheap when you're in trouble. It's called Zybaism, says one commentator. Oh, I hope that doesn't live in you or me. But you know what? It might be closer to my heart and yours than we think. Where you're calculating, how can I benefit from their disaster? This might be my time to run in with a smile and get all I can get. Zybaism. I was reminded of that yesterday when Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, through the news media, sends out a warning to would-be looters. Don't even think about looting people's homes that they've evacuated. Don't even think about taking advantage of people in a vulnerable situation. It just, that, that's, that's the sin of the human race. And we got to beware of this great sin, Zybaism, in our own lives. Beware of being the friendly guy who looks to benefit from another's disaster. Flee from that. Flee from that sleazy opportunism. And if I'm guilty of it, and if you're guilty of it, flee to Christ. Flee to Christ. Because ultimately, that's why Jesus allowed himself to be betrayed with a kiss of Judas, who's really the ultimate friendly foe. That he suffered this 
so that Judas's and Ziba's like you and me have a place to go with our sin and get rid of it. Yes, there is a place for us to go. And David suffered this. And Jesus suffered this far more. To pay for this. Now maybe you're on the other side of exploitation. Not on the Ziba side, but on David's side. Someone pretended to be your friend and took advantage of you. And maybe you should have seen it, but you were in a weak spot. And you believed it. I also you to find, urge you to find comfort in the Lord Jesus who was treated that way for us. You might feel so covered with egg on your face or so covered with shame like you can never get out from under this because of this foe who pretended to be your friend like Judas trying to make money off Jesus' demise. You have a friend in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was willing to suffer this way so you could find refuge in his suffering. And he sympathizes with you in your weaknesses, the Bible says, with your weaknesses. So that you might find grace to help you in your time of need. Zybaism. It's terrible. Regardless of which side of, of it you're on. Well, let's go next to the other guy. No smile on his face. The fierce foe, Shimei. Now, when David had come to Bahurim, verse 5, a village just a little ways past the Mount of Olives, there came out a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. God damn you is what he... That's what he's saying. God damn you. God put you in hell. These are not friendly words. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were at his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man, screaming, yelling at the top of his lungs, total vitriol, total invective, total hatred. He's a, he's a seething kettle ready to boil over. For years he's been angry. He's of the house of Saul. He was waiting for that prominent position. And then the house of Saul fell. And now he's way out in the backwoods somewhere. Sort of a nobody. Like, remember, Mephibosheth was on the other side in Lobdavar, which means no place. That's where these guys are living. And they're, they just hate this new king. Because he took away our royal family and he took away our wealth and, and he took away our reputation and our honor and they're just mad at him but they don't have a chance to vent that and now that David's off the throne and Absalom's on Shimei has his open door to get back and say the house of Saul is rising up against you, David, you man of blood. Oh, I know it's Absalom, but we're going to work with Absalom and we're going to get back there. Ziba said that about Mephibosheth. Shimei seems to think the same thing. The Lord, verse 
8 has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place. Now, David's guilty of bloodshed, Uriah, but not of the house of Saul. This is a false accusation. This is slander. David, that was his, his most righteous and strongest time of his life. And the way he handled the house of Saul with such respect and honor. They did this to themselves. So this is slander. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you for you're a man of blood. Oh, Abishai. Brother of Joab, son of Zeruiah, David's mother's sister. So this is David's cousin. You take somebody's head off, they can't curse anymore, right? He's got this figured out. The shouting head in front of him there, he says to David, why, verse nine, should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and take off his head. And Spurgeon says, I'm on Abishai's side. I would be so angry at the fellow's abuse of my king, whom I would live and die for, that I wouldn't ask for permission first. I'd cut off his head first, and then I'd ask for permission. He says, that's, that's what I feel in my bones about Shimei. I think that's true. You have these Abishais in your life, right? That when somebody damages you, treats you unjustly, that you have these Abishais come by and say, get him and get him good and get him now. Not at all helping you think, and, and there's a place and time for justice. Later on, David will see to it that Solomon takes care of Shimei. David just doesn't believe that's his job because he's under the hand, the mighty hand of God. So there's a place for justice, but the first place is what is God teaching me? How can I learn? How can I grow? For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the Christ, to become more of a man of God. Not to react like Abishai, take off his head, get rid of this problem, but what is the Lord doing in my life? David fully submits to the sovereignty of the Lord. The Lord sent him, the Lord told him to curse me. And those seem like hard words. You really believe in the sovereignty of God that much? Yes. Yes. Doesn't take away the call to justice. Shimei will have his day. The Lord will finally take care of him. But it does mean that we're always in the hands of our God. And that's what makes life so secure, brothers and sisters, as believers, as Christians. We're not in the hands of our enemies. We don't belong to those who curse us. What they say doesn't rule us. What they think isn't who we are. Through Jesus Christ, we belong to our God and Father. And what he thinks and what he says and what he does, that's what's real. That's who we are. That's where we are. And that's why David can suffer so securely. And he says to Abishai, no. What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? 
And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more than may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him to? Look, if my own son is rising against me, why shouldn't this guy from Benjamin? And David embraces this cursing as arranged in the providence of God for him to take and endure for the sake of the kingdom. And let God do with it what he wants. But somehow he would use it to build his kingdom. He would do it for his honor, for Israel's blessing. He trusted that. The Lord is training him for his good. And so he's going to humble himself under the mighty hand of God. Rather than fight every hardship and injustice of man that comes his way as a reaction. And that reminds us of what Peter, 1 Peter says to believers. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time he will lift you up. For God opposes the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. When you humble yourself that way, you're taking the way of grace. You really are of God's grace. You're taking, you're walking through the doorway of blessings, even though you can't see any of them right now in this low, low spot. But you're secure in the Lord. Because you know that his hand is in a good hand, is a good hand. Even when those hands have let you go very low, those hands are still beneath you. Right? The eternal God is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. No matter how low those arms go, take you, they're still there. And he says in verse 12, it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his, his cursing today. Wow. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along the hillside opposite him, cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. There they go, walking quietly while Shimei throws dirt, throws stones, throws curses, throws violence. You've got to see the Lord Jesus Christ here, eh? You've got to see him here. As people come to arrest him and insult him and mock him and scorn him and curse him. He who never did sin. He never did sin. Peter, Abishai II, pulls out his sword and he cuts off the ear of the soldier of the high priest. You're not having this guy. You're not getting away with this. What did Jesus say? Put your sword back in its sheath. Will I not drink the cup my father has given me? Jesus was willing to be arrested, mocked, insulted, yelled at, cursed, though he had committed no sin. And he could have called legions of angels to slay his enemies, but he didn't. He carried the curse we deserve for our sin, and he died for you and me. And he bore, like David bore the disgrace Shimei was putting on him. So Jesus bore our reproach and went outside the city gate to be crucified, carrying our curse to set us free from the curse. This is good news. To set us free for the curse. And David is a picture here of the Lord Jesus Christ. How could Jesus do it? 
He's a man like you and me. How could he do it? And the Bible says in 1 Peter that he did that by entrusting his life to God who judges justly. He put his life in the hands of the Lord. That's how Jesus did it. In the hands of the heavenly father and said, you take care of this. You carry me through. Jesus was secure in suffering because he was securely in the hands of the heavenly father. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And that leads us to consider, thirdly, our faithful friend. Just briefly, there will be a day for justice. People need to be held accountable. Ziba does. Shimei does. But beloved, don't let yourself enter retaliation territory. And don't let yourself step into Abishai's shoes. And, And don't let yourself be led by his counsel. Peter says, we must follow in David's footsteps. Or rather, he says, you must follow in Christ's footsteps. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, that we follow Christ in this pathway of returning insult with blessing. 1 Peter 2, at the end of the chapter. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. Maybe you're carrying the disgrace as a result of your own foolish choices or maybe not. Maybe through the fault, no fault of your own, you're carrying disgrace. But in God, you have a faithful friend who will carry you through and your life is totally, totally secure in him. And you can trust that and be quiet in that and confident in that and even rejoice in the lowest time. Because of your God, David did not measure himself by what Shimei said. David measured his life by what his God had said and would do. And that's security. The main theme running through these two enemies, the friendly foe, the foe with a smile, the fierce foe, the foe with a scream. The main theme is, David, because you're a sinner, you're not worthy of the kingdom. It's going back to Saul. Ha ha. You lost You're not worthy of the throne. You're not worthy of the kingdom. It's going back to Saul. Get out, get out. Are you ever in that spot where your own heart is telling you or other voices are, you're not worthy of the kingdom. You're not worthy of a place with God. You're not worthy of the Christ. 
because you've messed things up so badly. Like a Shimei. You've been evil. Like a Ziba, you've been sleazy. Like a David, you've done terrible things. You're not worthy, you're not worthy. And this passage is a reminder to go to your God, to go to his Christ, and measure worthiness in him. So that even if you, like Saul of Tarsus, are the worst of sinners, you may know there's enough mercy in God, mercy to overflowing, to get rid of all that and give you a place in the kingdom. And even if he should take you through a valley of trouble and bring you very low, it's his kingdom still. And he will restore you, strengthen you, and establish you, says Peter, after you've suffered a little while. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you again for this terrible passage about Ziba and Shimei, but above all about the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered for us, was betrayed for us, was cursed for us, so that we might have an eternal place in your kingdom and we might be called the children and the friends of God. Lord, help us in every situation of life to place our lives and trust our lives and our households and your people, your kingdom, in your perfect care and to know that with you, we are secure forever. Through Christ, your son, in his name we pray, amen.